Hi, my name is Hazel Jennings, and this is The Hardest Part, a podcast where I talk to people about the hardest part of something they've experienced, and then edit those conversations down to be short enough that you could listen to the whole thing while unloading the dishwasher. Well, if you're lucky enough to have a dishwasher, which I am not. So if you have a dishwasher, count your blessings. They sound amazing. Anyway, Berna Annette and her partner Peter recently achieved the millennial dream. They paid off their student loans, quit their jobs, and spent 11 months backpacking from New Zealand to Japan. They had the time of their lives. But Berna and I talked about some of the hardest parts. I hope that you like it. My name is Berna Annette, your personal finance hype woman. I'm a freelancer. And I produce videos and blogs around personal finance and other things. And today we're going to talk about the hardest thing about traveling long-term or really the hardest thing about being like, F it all, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to backpack and find myself. Can you tell me about your trip? Where did you go? How long was it? Yes. So my partner and I, Peter, we went from New Zealand to Japan. And the whole trip lasted from January to November of 2018. So about 10 months. We spent three months in New Zealand and we bought a used car and we drove all around the North and South Island. And then we went to Bali for two months. We were in Ubud and we stayed with one family for the whole two months. Vietnam for two months. We went from the bottom of the country all the way to the top. And then Taiwan for two months. We went around the whole island. And then Korea for three weeks. And then Japan for three weeks. And then back home to America. How did you decide that you wanted to do this? We decided we wanted to do this maybe date four, date six. And I was in the middle of my trying to get rid of student loans crusade. And I told him that early on. And he was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that too. And I was just starting to learn about personal finance and budgeting. He was like, you know what? Like, let's both double down and do whatever we can to get rid of our student loans. Let's just see what we can do. What's going to motivate us to like, to finish our student loans? And he was like, have you ever wanted to just like travel for a long time? I was like, yes, I have. And we both realized if we could time it so we can pay it off around the same time, then let's quit our jobs and just travel. Wouldn't that be wild? Like we both always wanted to have open-ended, uh, open-ended travel experiences. And also it's a thing that you feel like you should. There's this idea that like, once you settle down with a partner, especially once you start having kids, if you want to have kids, you better have had all your YOLO experiences. You better have gotten that all out of your body. And so we're both like, oh my gosh, we both have the same YOLO experience and let's definitely do it. Do you think everyone should do something like this? No. No. <laughs> Fuck no. I mean, it was funny to meet people abroad and because we actually, Peter and I, embarked on this journey and I think we could both like readily admit this that we were like this might be the best, like this might be the start of the rest of our lives you know like my god we might never come home we might be one of those people that went to New Zealand and was like and I just stayed and I just did and we found out I don't know where along the 11 months that we found out but we started talking to lots and lots of other travel bloggers who were like, yeah, I'm a digital nomad for life. Like I've been out here for five years, 10 years, and I'm never going home that we would come back and be like, I love home. Hold up. <laughs> Hold the fuck up. Like, and we're lucky to be able to say that, right? Like we both love our families. We love where we're from. We're lucky to have everything at back home waiting for us, but like, I'm not cut out for like forever nomad life for sure. I don't think I want to be away from my community for more than like, three months now. And 
maybe before, if I heard somebody say that, would have been like, weak, you know, I've been like, you're just not adventurous enough. But now I'm like, no, I did, I did a fairly adventurous thing and I missed my community the entire time. And of the many valuable things that came out of that adventure, probably the, one of the most valuable things is how much I love and value and respect and need my community. It sounds like there were definitely some elements of traveling that were really lonely. (laughs) The funny thing about feeling loneliness during our travels is it felt wrong to be feeling lonely because we were together. I was with my partner. I remember talking to somebody who had done like a six month like Bali backpacking trip. They were like, you're gonna be fine though because you'll have Peter the whole time. Like you're never actually gonna be lonely. You're always gonna have a person. So when I started feeling any kind of loneliness, there was also this like, what's wrong with me? Maybe I'm just straight up homesick. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. It was like a, a whack in the head of an, what should be an obvious lesson, which is like, you need more people in your life than each other. But we were both looking at each other like, I love you, I'm obsessed with you, I need you here. You're some of the best parts of this trip, but I need so much more. I need friends, I need family support. I need people that I can bitch to about you. I just need that and, and I need time alone also. The loneliness mostly came from missing everybody but each other. And we realized how much an everyone else shape hole there is in our life. Like in Bali, it wasn't as obvious because we stayed with one family, we got to know their kids, we got to like they, you know, there's relationship to build upon there. Everywhere else, we didn't stay more than like two and a half weeks, three weeks. So it was just enough to get to know some people, but not enough to create real relationships. So it was like skimming the surface of relationships all the time for months and months and months. And we'd even have like cool, fun, meaningful nights out with new friends or whatever, but also know that we might never see them again. What's the difference between being lonely and being homesick? Lonely felt like there were holes in your life that you needed to fill with specific people and have specific needs and knew that there are people who either exist or don't exist that can't fulfill those needs for any reason because you're away from them or they just aren't around. And homesick was, we always called homesick comfort sick. We weren't necessarily homesick in that like, oh, I wish I was home in my bed. It was, God, I wish I knew where to get fucking toilet paper here. I wish I had my spot where I can get a cheap sandwich. Like I wish I could, or a big thing, especially being in in Taiwan where like Mandarin is not a language you could just fucking pick up. That's an extremely, it's like one of the hardest languages to learn ever, it's tonal. And so I felt the most homesick slash comfort sick because we couldn't walk into a restaurant without it being a big deal. We couldn't go get food without it being like a commotion, an emotional commotion for us. And sometimes I think for the people who are trying to serve us, cause we just have like not from here on our foreheads. And so they'd walk in and be like, oh, whoa, okay. Um, and a lot of the time they'd like try to grab the sort of youngest waiter who maybe speaks English. And then we'd communicate to him in like our broken, terrible Mandarin. And he'd be like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about because of course we're getting it wrong. And it would just be this stressful thing. And I'd be like, fuck Peter, I just want to walk in somewhere and get a fucking burger. That's all I want. I want to be able to make small talk, get the burger without literally like rehearsing phrases before we walk out the door, just so we can go get tea, having it be this whole thing. And that's when I really, those were days where I was like, I don't want to like, is there Uber eats or something? Like, I don't even want to go outside. Cause I'm just, I'm comfort sick. I'm mm. tired of trying so hard for things that you don't have to try for at all back mm-hmm. in the States. And of course that was a whole thing where we're like, well, how the fuck do you think like immigrants feel when they come to a new country? How do you think my parents felt when they didn't speak a whole shit ton of English, but had to get by? And it was an interesting perspective change. Probably by the middle of the trip, we could name it. We can be like, we're comfort sick. Like our bodies just wish we were home. We spent 
28, 29 years of our life being very comfortable and like not ever leaving that comfort zone for more than like a few months at a time. And this is like our body sort of like, like heaving, being like, please, okay, I'm done. Take me back. And we couldn't. So we just. Why couldn't you? Why couldn't you come back? We were stubborn. We don't want to. We're like, we're going to see this thing out to the end. And I told everyone I'd be gone for almost the whole year. Mm-hmm. And to go home early would be to say to people, even though it's a total truth, it's not that fun out there. It's not, it's not as like beautiful, amazing fantasy as it is. It's hard. It's lonely. It's emotional. I didn't want to say that to people. And I felt like that's not what people wanted to hear either. we slowly climb our way back out and be like, hold on, this is amazing. This is sick. Like Mm. what we get to do, the privilege of what we get to do, how lucky we are that we get to be sad in Taipei, (laughs) Mm -hmm. sad in like Hoi An and just still be able to see and do so many things we wouldn't be able to do if we were sad at home. Mm-hmm. We're like, let's let that buoy us. Let it just sort of like knock the sadness out of us for a second. Like we're allowed to be sad, but it's also like take a lap and see the see the things. That usually is what knocked it out of us to like interact as much as we could with the place around us. I was following so much of your journey on Instagram, and I noticed that there were a few times that you took sort of breaks from social media. I'm curious about why you felt like you had to take breaks with social media if you were feeling lonely or comfort sick and and what kind of role social media was playing in that. I think my lonely brain and my comfort sick brain was looking out especially for like my close friends and family and what they're doing. And of course, because social media is the highlight reel of all of our lives and it's only showing what we want people to see and the best parts of everything. I was seeing the best parts of like friends get togethers and weddings that I was missing and little things like second cousin's baptism that everybody got drunk at. It was just a random Instagram story of like three of my BFFs getting together for boba. That's completely insignificant to them. But that's the kind of stuff that was like gutting me so hard. I found myself on social media just way more than I wanted to be. It was, it felt like comfort porn almost like I would want to go home from wherever we were at that day because I wanted to sit with Wi-Fi and see what everybody else was doing back home and I wanted I purposely wanted to see like my like go through my mentally go through my friend groups and be like what's this person this person this person doing what's this cousin doing and I wanted it felt like I was trying to like put a blanket around my head of like things that were comfortable to me. And the way that I was doing that was looking at social media. If there's a moment that I'm going to look back and regret being too far into my social media, it's going to be now. What makes it worth it? What were the, what were the parts that made all of the homesickness or all of the struggle worth it? The times that, for example, we would be hanging out with like our family, the family that, that, um, hosted us in Bali, we would like, we got really, really close with their young kids. There was an eight-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. And we spent two straight months with them and babysat them sometimes and like fed them and napped with them and everything. And like the moments that made it really worth it were like the genuine like attachment and sadness that we felt when we left each other and all the crying and all the like emotion and all the and like realizing that something came out of it besides like I did the tourist thing and they're like we had a tourist transaction. It felt worth it to know that we connected on a level beyond that. That was really lovely. The mo- uh, there were also digital moments that felt really worth it. And share my experience with like being brown in Asia and how difficult that is. And a lot of that year felt like I was like an astronaut, like tethered out 
in space and just experiencing this weird thing and making it look cool but feeling ultimately really isolated so moments like that where i got to share the mushy parts that felt more like this is i'm doing this for a purpose other than just like my own self-enjoyment mm-hmm. and the food i mean taiwanese food i hadn't known about it at all the advanced levels of like deliciousness and like cheap deliciousness experience especially in taiwan i'm like my friends are sleeping on taiwan why did no one warn me how great and cheap the food is. I was like, that was it was such a discovery for us. Someone was telling you they were thinking about quitting their job and traveling for 11 months. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? I would, so I would first be encouraging, but I would probably very quickly pivot to being financially ready because it's, I mean, I think there are some people who like quit their jobs and figure that you're going to earn money on the road. And that's very, very hard. That is very hard, especially when you're in you're using maybe like 80% of your day's energy just trying to get by in a culture that's not yours and just how much energy you spend being uncomfortable, even vaguely slightly uncomfortable all day long. And then trying to make money on top of that is really difficult. But then also being, I would ask them to consider being emotionally prepared for uh, losing community, losing the sort of, you know, the idea that like it takes a village to raise a person. My best self is like surrounded by my village and like very deeply entrenched in my village. And so if they're a person who values their community, like, are you prepared to lose that? Like really lose it. And also not just that, but because of social media, see it happening without you. If that is something you're prepared to do, then great. And if you feel, if you have like healthy coping mechanisms for loneliness and, and FOMO and isolation, then that's good. But if you don't like really talk it out, I wish people would stop feeling so bad that they haven't traveled, especially, and it's hard to sort of extricate like real passion for travel versus I'm supposed to say I have a passion for travel or like to say you have a passion for travel and dreams of travel is cool. I wish there was an easy way to filter for that, but like maybe, maybe don't is what I'm saying. If you can and you try, by all means, yes, but don't feel bad if you can't or when you can't or when you can and it's really not that big of a deal. Like it, maybe it's overblown. Just consider it might be overblown. And I, I definitely wouldn't recommend like traveling to find yourself. It's kind of overhyped. Honestly, I don't regret my experience at all, but don't feel like you're missing out, especially when you're like, I want to travel. Kind of. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't really, but I'm supposed to say that. This is going to sound stupid, but like life is just life. Like life doesn't get less shitty because you travel. Life doesn't get easier when you decide to become a nomad and like quit. Shit is shit on any side of the country, any part of the world. And it's, if anything, travel will sort of like squish it into your face more of like your own shit really hard. It's honestly, it's so overhyped. Yeah. (laughs) It's madly overhyped. What's the hardest part of traveling around the world for 11 months? Confronting so many different parts of yourself in such a raw way. Confronting how I acted out when I was lonely. Confronting the corners that I crawled to when I needed to be alone or I needed space or I didn't know how to communicate my feelings. You find yourself very raw in ways that you maybe aren't ready to confront. Feeling like all the emotional corners of you are now exposed because you are pushed to physical discomfort, you're pushed to emotional discomfort. You are, I mean, there were moments where like, Peter and I had to, we were like at our wits end and then we just realized we're hungry or we're just thirsty or, oh my God, you just needed a nap. Like confronting the most sort of basic carnal bottom emotions of you, like all the different corners of you and doing it in a place where you can't even truly communicate with everyone around you. It feels like turning your body inside out and like walking around like that all the time. 
So that that's what was really hard. And that's what like made us cry out for comfort so much. But I think I think that's going to be the thing that we have will we will have gotten the most out of is uh, any kind of resilience or lessons learned from walking around with your skin inside out for 11 months. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me mostly yelling about money and being brown, but like money while being brown on Instagram. My handle is HeyBerna, H-E-Y-B-E-R-N-A. I also, I'm on YouTube at HeyBerna and those are honestly the best places. You find me anywhere else, it's really not that great. even mean like what does it mean to do san francisco from a local's point of view if you're just like check check nom 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 yay yay i'm yeah. tired i feel empty and like you can't do san francisco unless you live here like i feel yeah. like if somebody said like how do you do san francisco i'd be like you're really fucking mad because your rent is so i was just high. gonna say you're pissed because everything's expensive That's yeah like you, you pay over you know like you pay an obscene amount of money for your rent and then you walk out the front door and you step in human feces <laughs> like, and then you pay six dollars for a copy and it's like only okay yeah, yeah. and it's cold and it's it like cool. st- starts raining out of nowhere it's upsetting and like then Muni, like the next Muni isn't coming for 22 minutes. And, like, and you're like, why is this the worst? And you're like, is it me? Did like, I do this? I'm like, that's how you do San Francisco. And I, like, I don't wish that upon anyone. That's not where you want to come here for. Like, and I totally find that when I travel, like I was in London and the woman at the, who was checking me into the hotel was like, oh my God, San Francisco. I've always dreamed of going to San Francisco. And I was like, I was like, you should get a better dream. Like, I, I live your dream. And I hate yeah, like, it. Don't come here. Like I'm only here because I don't know how to leave. Right? Exactly. We are trapped here. Yeah, like, you know that? I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't think you want to come. Dreams suck. Have terrible dreams. <laughs> Dream better, please. <laughs> but like at the same time, like I like walk around London. Like it's very. It's like a Dido song. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh my god, red phone booth. No way. Like, yeah. It's no the way. queen here. <laughs> <laughs> is the queen here? Is she here? Is she here? Is she there? Now? Yeah. Like, and I'm sure that she, like, that this woman working at the hotel is the same. It's just like, stop. Yeah, like, London is the worst. Yeah. But even when I say, like, London is the worst, I'm like, London is the best. It's the best, though. It's the worst to you, but it's the <laughs> At any given time, the queen. Kate Middleton could be like, do you want to be best friend? And I'll be like, yes, I've been yes, waiting for you to I ask me this. Like, our hands are going to brush and we're reaching for the same scone. And that's all going to happen. That's what happens in London. That's what happens in London. You get scones with Kate Middleton. Right. In my three days here, it can happen. You don't know. You you really don't know. Anything can happen in London. Not in San Francisco. (laughs) I know everything that happens in San Francisco. (laughs) San Francisco, it's mostly human feces. (laughs) It's mostly human feces.